0: Jesus Christ was misunderstood in his death. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We take you through the Bible as we travel through from Revelation or from Genesis one to Revelation twenty-two every year. And this is interesting in Mark chapter fifteen fascinating stuff. Uh, And, you know, Ryan is here
1: and Ryan, what's going on? Well, you know, today I'm going to be taking a close up look at the darkness that came over the earth when Christ was crucified. Was this darkness a natural phenomenon or was it supernatural?
0: All right, very good question. We'll talk about that, about 20 minutes. What is the question today?
2: Well, it is our fun Friday wrap-up question. I don't know how many of you think it's fun. I know there is a group of you that follow along. So today, I'm gonna ask a question anywhere from Mark chapter one, all the way through to the 16th. And I will pose that question to not only you, but to everybody sitting around this table. Awesome. All
0: right, very good, and Brian's here, so join us.
3: Awesome.
2: Mark 15, 16-32 Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross and they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated Place of a Skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him and the inscription of his accusation was written above, the King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, "'Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross!' Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, "'He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe!' Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32.
0: Mark chapter 15 and 16, the last part of Mark. Now, if you were to plan the death of God, what would it look like? Most would say, well, you can't kill God. So how do you plan his death? Yet God himself planned the death of Jesus Christ so that it would point to the weakness of man, the fall of sin and the overcoming of that sin. God's plan displayed the winning of the war against the destruction of mankind. Now when we're born, we are under destruction. We are headed for hell. Now, it's only when we are born again, which is what Jesus Christ explained to Nicodemus in John chapter three, that our life of sin is erased and we are whole and complete before God. Now, the death of Jesus Christ worked toward that final place where we would all end up on our knees, reverent before God and worshiping him. That's where we'll all end up because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's fascinating, really, when we begin to think this through. And the last two chapters of Mark are really interesting. So take your Bible guide and turn to it as we study the death of Jesus Christ. And this is Mark chapter 15. And we're going to begin with verse 16 in a minute. But it's interesting to pay attention to the notes of Peter and how John Mark put this together. And so in doing that, turn your guide there. And if you don't have a guide, call or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get a hold of one. And thank you for your donations. Let me say that we've been, it's been very challenging for us in these last couple of days, last couple of weeks. So we thank you for being consistent and faithful. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for everybody who gives, that they put you first. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would bless them in this whole problems that we're having with the economy and everything else just bless them lord and help them father in jesus name amen let's pray that god shows us his way and teaches us his path in the scripture father i pray as we study the death of jesus christ we realize that the death is simply the one aspect it's the beginning and the resurrection is truly what christianity stands for but help us lord to hear what you're saying to us in these scriptures in jesus wonderful name this is what we all said together amen as we look at mark chapter 15 it becomes interesting because we focus on verse 16 then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the praetorium that's the roman place and they called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple And they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing to the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Now, this is very important. Listen carefully. Following Jesus is not something the world loves or builds towards. That's not something they love or build towards. Remember that. Christians know, Christ's followers know and have learned that following Jesus Christ means often means mockery. You know, when I first came to know the Lord... Uh, I remember going to school and I made the decision because it was really important. I was 14 years old to take my Bible with me. And that year I lost 21 Bibles. People tearing them up, ripping them down. I mean, they were, it was a bad time. It was the 70s and it was a bad time. And all of the institution of the Bible, all of the work that was done by the people who went before us was all being rebelled against. And I lost Bibles. And I remembered at that time and I was made fun of and all of that simply because I carried my Bible and during study hall, I worshiped God. That was in the 70s. So beloved, we need to understand that when we worship the Lord, when we come to the Lord, that there will be some mockery. And we have to understand that. Now we go on to verse 21. It says, then they complain or compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian from the father of Alexander and Rufus Rufus, and they were coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. That's Jesus's cross. Verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Galgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now, Notice that Jesus was so beaten and weak the Roman soldiers forced Simon to carry Jesus's cross. Yet Jesus refused their offer of wine and myrrh to relieve his pain. Jesus was not interested in relieving his pain. He, he wasn't trying to be you know cause pain to come on him because there was so much pain and agony and The the mental anguish of this was unbelievable. The spiritual ramifications of this was unbearable. Yet God himself, Jesus Christ, bore that cross for us. And the cost of the cross. A lot of people talk about the, the cross, but they don't talk about the cost of the cross. It was born by Jesus Christ. And his death is real. It's real. Beloved, let's read on because this is very interesting. Mark chapter 15, verse 24, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews with him. They also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you destroyed the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself now and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief of priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others, but himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and we may believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now this is interesting. Jesus Christ was misunderstood even in his death. We must learn from him in this life to live with him beyond this life. We must learn from him in this life to live with him beyond this life. The work of Jesus Christ is often misunderstood. Beloved, we are here to tell people that their sins can be forgiven. And you may be watching this program and never heard this before. Jesus Christ is Lord. God has already paid the cost for you, and it's up to you to accept it. Will you accept Jesus Christ? Will you come to the Lord? You simply pray and say, Lord, I come to you today. I'm a sinner, and I need you today. And I believe you died on the cross, and three days later, you rose from the dead in the flesh. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus Christ.
2: This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David, but an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign, of course that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul.
1: Welcome back to the program. Today, my report is all about the darkness that came over the land during Jesus's crucifixion. And I wanted to know if God used natural astronomical means to accomplish this, or whether he did it completely supernaturally. This is what I discovered. During the Lord's crucifixion, an eerie and unusual darkness came upon the land for three hours. While the Synoptic Gospels all testify to this event, they do not tell us how God accomplished this. Was this darkness a result of natural astronomical phenomena, or was it a completely supernatural event? The Greek historian Thallus, writing just 20 years after the resurrection of Christ, confirmed this biblical event, and he claimed this to be a natural outworking of a solar eclipse. It is true that if this darkness were a result of natural causes, then a total solar eclipse would be the best explanation. But there are at least two problems with this idea. First, a solar eclipse doesn't line up with the timing of Jesus' crucifixion. As a matter of fact, North African Christian leader Julius Africanus, writing in AD 215, understood this. He wrote, This darkness, Thalus calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. For the Hebrews celebrate the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan, according to the moon, and the passion of our Savior falls on the day before the Passover. But an eclipse of the sun takes place only when the moon comes under the sun. In other words, at the time of the crucifixion, the moon was at the opposite end of its orbit path when it was in its full phase, meaning a natural solar eclipse wasn't possible on the day of Christ's crucifixion. A second problem with the solar eclipse theory is that the Bible says that the darkness lasted three hours, but the maximum time that the sun can be eclipsed is only eight minutes. So since natural explanations fail to adequately explain how darkness can occur while the sun is still shining, it seems best to conclude that God himself accomplished this supernaturally. Significantly, this isn't the first time we've witnessed such unnatural outworkings in the Bible. In Exodus 10, for example, God brought a plague of darkness on the Egyptians, yet the Israelites still had sunshine where they lived in the nearby land of Goshen. Similarly, in Exodus 14, God used a pillar of cloud to separate the Israelites from the Egyptians. While the Egyptians experienced darkness on the one side of the cloud, the Israelites had light on the other. In Matthew 24, Jesus also speaks of darkness shortly before his second coming. And in Revelation 6, darkness is mentioned as coming with the opening of the sixth seal. God, in his ultimate power, has brought darkness on the earth before, and he's going to do it again in the future. So all the scientific and biblical evidence points to a supernatural darkness during Jesus' crucifixion. And Thallus, writing just 20 years or so after this event, corroborates that this darkness did take place. And that's important, but I don't want us to get so caught up with the facts that we miss the whole reason why God uses darkness and light in this way. Generally speaking, darkness seems to symbolize judgment and separation from God, while light seems to symbolize blessing and God's presence. For example, in the book of Exodus, the Egyptians were experiencing God's judgment during the plague of darkness, while Israel was enjoying the blessings of God in Goshen. This is an important lesson. It's absolutely critical to dwell in the light of God's truth, where there's eternal life and blessing, rather than to be cast into the outer darkness of judgment, uh, doomed to be separated from God forever. So, may we not harden our hearts like Pharaoh did, and may we not reject Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as those who crucified Him did.
0: Yeah, it's important, Ryan, because um, today especially, and in the world today, things are going crazy, and a lot of people, are saying, well, the world is you know, going crazy. But we need to remember that as we stay close to the Lord, yeah. God controls and keeps us in His faith. Now, this is something that I wanted to mention briefly. Uh, Hebrews 11, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The evidence of things we cannot see. Through faith, the people in the days of old had earned a good reputation. One of the things that we notice is that, has, as mentioned, in the scientific uh, community, ninety-five percent of the universe cannot be seen, touched, feel, tasted, or anything else, because of dark matter. And yet, and yet, they say that that ninety-five percent, the unseen, the undetectable matter, controls all the things we can see. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? That's fascinating. They're describing the spiritual world. That's excellent. We'll talk to Brian in a second. Janice. Yes.
2: All right. Well. <laughs> I'm going to pose the question to all three of you guys today.
1: We can do
0: it.
2: And I'm going to ask the question anywhere from Mark chapter 1 through to Mark chapter 16. I also want to remind you, if you're a new viewer, we don't have this particular program on the weekends. We do have all of the reading in the monthly guides, but Corey and Matlock still do a weekend Recap. And you can find that if you go onto YouTube and check for Corey's name. That's her channel, Corey Babetchko. Go there and you can watch the updates, the recaps of everything that we have read and talked about during the week. So, all right, without further ado, here we go. Here's the question for you guys Two men talked to Jesus and appeared before Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration were they? Let me read that again.
0: There's a multiple choice, by the way. That's right. right.
2: Two men talked to Jesus and appeared before Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration. Who were they? Here are your choices. Number one, Moses and Elijah. Two, Elijah and Jeremiah. Or three, Moses and Isaiah. Here's your choices again. Number one, Moses and Elijah, Elisha and Jeremiah, or Moses and Isaiah. What say you?
0: What say you, Ryan? Because this, you can't you, you well, can't just put the guest on the line every time. Please,
3: <laughs> Ryan. I,
1: I got to go with Moses and Elijah.
3: Yep. Yeah. You, you, I'm, I'm that yeah. I'm <laughs> ditto. And you, what do you think?
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah,
3: Moses. I thought he was going to try and say something different. Something. No. Sometimes <laughs> he know. does. You never know how this guy, I know it's gonna you know, be it's you amazing. just don't know.
2: You just don't know. All right. So those of you at home, if you guess the same Moses and Elijah, you are absolutely right. Always check me on the answers, Mark nine, verse four. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Now we, we have
0: a Brian here, Brian Como, who is the pastor of Kennedy Road Tabernacle. It's a great church. And we talked yesterday, you're from Louisiana. Yep. And we talked about how they called you and you felt the call and you came up and all of that. So this is fascinating. My question is, before you were pastoring, before you were a Christian, Mm -hmm. You were in Louisiana and you were young and tell me about your life.
3: Well, we were really not not Christians at all. I mean, we would go to church casually in South Louisiana, predominantly Catholicism, Catholic, and uh, that's where all my friends were. It's where our family was uh, based out of. And we were in my high school, getting to my high school years, invited to a church service in small town, Youngsville. Church maybe could seat 75 people. But there was a, you know, you, you, you get to a point, I think, in, in, in my life I did. I just wanted more. I I, wanted, I just wanted something personal, not religion, not just someone giving me doc- their doctrine. I, I wanted to know the truth. Invite this the service. It was a revival. Didn't know what revivals were. It was a week long, late nights. That's all I knew. But we hungered for it. Our whole family went to the revival, First night, second night, third night, mom said, you know, we're all going to go again on Thursday. And no one complained about it. We, we wanted something different. Uh, Thursday night was the real, the catch, you know, he was starting to give the salvation message. And on the fourth night, we, all of us as a family, when the invitation was given, we all got up. I'm sitting here, Jay's sitting here, sisters are sitting in the back, mom and dad are sitting in the front. And before we opened our eyes, we are all at the front altar. I'm here, Jay's here. Mm -hmm. And our whole family uh, at that time accepted Christ. And things started to change. Was it immediate changes? For me, it sort of was. Uh, I wanted to, what could I do for the church? I started mowing the grass. I started cleaning out the areas, you know, children's church area. I just, I wanted to, you know, you want to change your life. I knew my life wasn't going the right direction. Friends I had back then, we're not the friends I think that could give me hope and a future and a purpose and a plan. So you just, you start searching. So that was my, going into my high school years.
0: So you, okay, for, let me, let's come back to this because your whole family.
3: Oh, one night. Responded to the no, altar. I was, yeah, you know, mom Mom was a pretty hardcore religious woman. And whenever mom, you know, we we went to church religiously. But you're missing the element of relationship and you can't, and I'm not saying it against one form of religion or a, 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 a denomination, but I just wanted personal. I didn't, I didn't want stuff just thrown at me. I wanted this Christ in my life. I needed, I needed him in me. So yeah, we all walked to the front. It wasn't a week later. We've heard that whenever you accept Christ, you're baptized. That's just you follow the plan. You don't want to wait another month or three years before you do it. And that's, I think that's what got us on the right course is we just, we were just dumb enough to say, if this is what he wants next, we're going to do it. So accepted salvation very next week in another church because we didn't have, we were so small, we didn't have a baptism pool, uh, but we were baptized in that church.
0: So, okay, this is this is incredible because your family is. Did you notice a change between brothers and sisters in your family? How, yeah, how did
3: that it, yeah. I mean, it's 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 everyone's journey is is separate. So, some were a little more aggressive. Some were, you know, it's good that we go to church, but it's not really that important to me. So, it, it just everyone has their own opinions.
0: But the, you talk about relationship and and how you worked with that, and I mean, this is now personal.
3: Oh, it's very yeah. It was, it went from, I wonder what who God is and what He can do to, now there's really a hunger. And you know, when you start reading, you can tell a difference in someone's life when you start reading the Word and it's like they make it come alive. That's where we're at. It just, it wasn't just bogus, you know, let's, you know, Janice explore what she did today and Ryan and then you, it just, you make it come alive. Why? Because it's alive in you. Yeah. When that preacher preached, it was alive in him. And he wasn't shouting, he wasn't spitting, you know. You, <laughs> you know, that's South Louisiana, man. That's, that's, you eat enough crawfish and, and crab ball crabs, <laughs> ah. you're gonna be spitting up. But it was personal. And you thought, you know, who read my mail? Who, who talked to this guy before? And that's what Jesus is, he's very personal. Mm-hmm. You said it earlier, no matter where you are in life, he hears your request. Yes. No matter, you have access to the Father. This is not like, I gotta go to a priest, I gotta go to a pastor to get this done. He invites us in, Ephesians mm-hmm. 3 says, you know, I, have, I can come with boldness, I can have access, and I can come with confidence that God's gonna hear my request. How
0: old were you when you when made that decision?
3: Uh, three, no, <laughs> no, I, uh, 17.
0: Seventeen, yeah, seventeen.
3: But it was a it was a a pivotal point, man, because you know it's your junior senior, you're in in, you know senior years in high school, and then you're off to college. So what do you do? So I just had to make that change. I just knew life was going nowhere without a change, without God in it. Not just any kind of change, but without God. And I'm not trying to be over spiritual. It just was that much of a transformation in our whole family.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, we're going to be talking about this for another five programs, and so we want to encourage you. KMCT is the station we're on at 9 o'clock in the morning and 8 o'clock at night. And uh, God is real. Mm -hmm. And listen, let me tell you something. If you are searching for him, you can find him right now. Come to Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and pray Mm -hmm. in your own way. Focus on God only and say, Lord, I need you today, and he will come into your life, and he will change you. And let me tell you something. If you do that and Mm -hmm. you're serious about it, you're going to see some serious change because God will make your life light up. And that's important. So we'll talk to you tomorrow. we need to remember that coming to Christ changes us. We identify with his death, but more so we recognize his resurrection. So then we become born again, as he said, in John chapter three to the leader Nicodemus. So with that in mind, let's pray and say, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. And help me to understand, help me to live according to what you've called me to do now in Jesus name.